welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Podcast. Um, with me today, I have Abhishek Shah, and he is the founder of Wealthy Therapeutics. So Abhishek comes with more than a decade of healthcare experience, having previously co-led an early stage fund as a VC, been an entrepreneur in residence, and held leadership roles in his healthcare family businesses. He holds a Bachelor of Sciences in Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering from Georgia Tech, and an MBA from the Indian School of Business and he co-founded Wealthy with the mission to transform diabetes care in India by driving digital therapeutics that will improve health literacy, facilitate behaviour change and help reverse and control diabetes although they do a lot more than just that now. So Abhishek, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. You're very welcome sir. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today Abhishek? Today it's Mumbai. Uh, and thankfully, it's been here for a while as we uh, continue to uh, find our new medium of uh, working from home. And uh, unfortunately, from next year, we'll be back on an airplane. Oh, of course, of course. How are you guys finding the, uh, I guess, the latest variant and all of the restrictions and lockdowns? What's it like for you guys at the minute? It's, it's not bad here. Normally, yeah. we tend to see... Um, any um, any wave that happens in Europe some mo- follows up in this part of the world a few months later. So I okay. think we'll we, we'll have an event free Christmas, but uh, uh, you know, come um, come Feb March, uh, let's see. I tell you, an event free Christmas wouldn't that be nice? It seems like all of this stuff peaks around now. I suppose being in winter and being a virus. But anyway, before we digress too much, um, great to have you on, man. And like looking forward to it. Obviously, we've been doing a bit of work together with Somex and Wealthy Therapeutics as well. And yeah, learning about your background and learning about what you guys are actually trying to achieve um, in the pharma space and in digital therapeutics. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome stuff. So. Um, it'd be great for our listeners to to hear a bit about your background and yeah, for you to tell us your story. Sure. It doesn't seem so long ago, uh, but it's a story nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> I um, yeah, I was I was lucky to be uh, born in a household where uh, being an entrepreneur was the only thing to do. Uh, and if you are uh, taking a job, having a professional career it's a it's it's what you're doing because you are too lazy to figure out what problem you want to solve um which uh was intimidating at first i was gonna say that's a lot of pressure to put on you at home uh but it it, it is fun because that meant um there was always a side hustle um before there was time for a main hustle right so it didn't matter whether i was you know in high school and I have a side hustle on, uh, you know, um, making music CDs for my friends. And uh, whether it was, uh, you know, undergrad and the side hustle was about uh, DJing. And then it was, uh, um, uh, the side hustle became event management while I was in, in undergrad. And then you come back and then you start, um, you know, your journey as an entrepreneur. So I was really fortunate to sort of go through that because that positive pressure always brought back within uh the environment uh risk taking you know is, is figure it out go out there fail fail fast fail quick you don't really appreciate fail fast fail quick coming from your mother uh until 
uh, you actually become a professional and you realize that was really, really cool words of wisdom. Because uh, my immediate reaction when, uh, you know, she used to tell me this, I was like, do you not love me? No. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, some way to tell me that because, like, why would you want your son to fail? Yeah, you don't get it. When, when, when you were, when I was at least, uh, you know, my younger self, I, I never fully appreciated stuff like that. But um, was really fortunate. We found um, uh, through uh, undergrad. Um, you know, the healthcare always fascinated me on the on, on the periphery of it. Uh, I was actually at UCL for a semester where I was doing. Um, chemical engineering is, uh, you know, basically a holiday from the main school. Oh, cool. was, we were at Georgia Tech, and I can tell you, it's uh, it's pretty rigorous academically, more rigorous than than, than my personality likes. <laughs> Especially if you're side hustle DJing or trying to find the time for that, you know, it's not really it's not really conducive, is it? Exactly, not really conducive. Um, but Atlanta was fun, London was fun, uh, and. Uh, you know, really um, instilled the curiosity that there are problems to solve, which don't necessarily have to be solved in your local environment. There are global problems, unmet needs. Um, find them, explore them, ex- you know, uh, and exploit them and do something about it. Um, that curiosity um, got me through the better part of my first few years as a professional when I was working in uh, uh, the businesses that uh, my parents had set up, small businesses, but still um got a flavor of it um walked away feeling that i was on top of the world because uh i'm I'm managing businesses uh, but wasn't humble enough to recognize that uh, building a business is very different from taking a business that's already built to the next level uh zero to one is infinitely harder um wanted to solve that problem um got an opportunity uh post uh, uh mba to uh, to get into the VC world and really understand how businesses are even conceptualized. Because I was really curious in my professional career to find, um, you know, gaming companies and tech companies that were being built out. And I was really curious, how were they built? And, you know, then you go and oh, there's this thing called venture capital. And I was like, you know, that's great. Uh, I want to learn more about that and got an opportunity to, to spend a decent chunk of my career, um, uh, uh, co-leading a early stage $50 million fund based out of family office and got to see some incredible entrepreneurs uh, uh, solving impossible problems. And just the, you know, when you're on the VC side, one thing you appreciate is that uh, firstly, who you're seeing is already the 1%. And then you're going to choose the 1% off the 1%. Um, and you know that even if you make all the right calls, there's going to be a significant amount of them which will not survive. And that humbles you to recognize that those are the kind of odds that exist in the real world. And it also uh, sort of humbles you on the, the quality of the problem you want to solve, the passion you need to have. Because I was fortunate enough to follow several hundreds of entrepreneurs through their journey. And most of those journeys obviously didn't end up the way the entrepreneur intended to. But um, through that, you recognize the trials and tribulations that come with being an entrepreneur. And then that's when I thought that, aha, I've cracked it now. I've been a second generation entrepreneur myself. I have gone out and funded entrepreneurs and invested in entrepreneurs and seen entrepreneurs fail. 
and therefore I am ready to go after uh, you know being my in my own entrepreneur. Um, I can tell you what I was ready for and what I wasn't. I was ready for um, solving a problem because I was definitely frustrated being on the sidelines. I was in constant envy of the entrepreneur that was in front of me. And no entrepreneur could understand that. They just could, like, you know, what's wrong with you? You're on the other side. You're the guy that everyone comes to for money. Uh, and I'm like, no, 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 I want to be you. I want to be on the, on the other side and I want to solve problems because that it's so much more exciting, so much more fulfilling. Uh, and it, I guess it's a little bit of the grass is always greener moment. But, uh, you know, now I know that you know, it was a, the Jedi mind tricks that my parents have played, you know, ever since inception when I was born into the family that <laughs> truly was the, the underlying reason where I felt that that was the, 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 the sexier part of life. But I uh, uh, got curious enough and I said, you know, I want to, uh, this is it. This is, this is really comfortable. I can live my life uh, funding other entrepreneurs, but I want to actually go out and solve a problem. Uh, became an entrepreneur in residence in another fund because uh, I needed a soft landing. Uh, found problems that I felt were worth solving. Uh, had, was fortunate enough to have incredibly smart people around me to poke holes in those problems so that I could go in all amped up, uh, fully motivated, and then get destroyed uh, with colleagues who had their best intentions uh, to ensure that I could succeed. And, uh, you know, then um, co- go back completely demolished and then fight, you know, fight again the next day. But in the process, was able to fine tune uh, some of these things. And that's definitely one thing I, I, I really love because it's so important to get uh, somebody who you believe is smarter than you to come with the complete agenda to destroy the assumptions you have because it's only when they stand the test of uh, that sort of uh, assault that the, you know there's a, even a reasonable chance of success. Uh, but in through that, um, uh, uh, the journey of finding problems to solve, nothing was really um, cutting it for passion until, um, you know, I, I chanced across uh, my parents, you know, normal you know, uh, diagnostic checks, uh, health checkups. And uh, one turned out pre-diabetic, one turned out diabetic. Uh, and both were already, um, you know, uh, cardiovascular hypertension, dyslipidemia patients. And these are guys that run their own businesses in healthcare. Uh, so, you know, when, you, you know, the, 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 I guess the pill cocktail that was being consumed by both the individuals that I look up to my whole life was uh, a staggeringly large amount. And, they knew everything they needed to know to be able to actually do something about their health, but they chose not to, or, you know, their behavior didn't allow them to, or their lifestyle didn't allow them to. And that was when sort of the penny dropped, that if you have the best access in healthcare in the world, you have the best access to medicine in the world, you are are educated on all things healthcare. I feel like post-COVID, everyone's educated in all things healthcare, but at least pre-COVID, you know, people weren't necessarily looking at health that seriously. And yet they struggle with managing their own conditions. I just felt there are very large, very pertinent, unmet patient needs, which drugs or devices or episodic healthcare is not about to solve. And 
uh, that felt like a worthwhile problem to solve for and um, invested more time in that and figured out that uh, this is really driving my energy levels up. This is a problem that keeps me excited, keeps motivating me and gets me, get me up to work every day. And um, I realized that beyond a point, the best laid idea does not hold a candle if you combine that with uh, the passion and motivation to make it successful. Uh, and that, I guess, was the missing ingredient, which is that, you know, you, I can have all the fanciest problems to solve in the world, but the one that speaks home to me, the one that I feel that I want to spend the rest of my life solving, that's the one that you're not stopping on iterating until you find uh, the right fit. And that's when the penny dropped. That's when I felt that this was it. This was the problem I want to solve. And then came the next stage of, um, I thought, convincing my loved ones, my wife at that time, we were, uh, we were literally, our son was born a week before the company was registered. Um, and that was a, a hard conversation to have, of course, but uh, uh, was incredibly supportive. And, you know, as long as I had family uh, behind me uh, and, you know, I had a, a problem that I was obsessed about solving in front of me, I felt that, uh, you know, uh, let's make this happen. Let's see where this mm. goes. Well, I think unlike, unlike a lot of people that may take a huge risk, take a huge gamble, whilst it was in part, I suppose, that in a lot of ways, it sounds like based on your background, you were making one of the most informed decisions on entrepreneurship than, that anybody could make. And I, I relate to that in a lot of ways, the time I spent in accelerators and, and watching founders, learning from them, as well as helping them as well, like in partnership quite often with them and helping them succeed, you know, then getting the FOMO of wanting to be on that side. I, I do, re I definitely relate to that. Um, but before we touch more about wealthy therapeutics, I just want to go into your background a little bit, because it seems like you've got a, a, a life and a career not that you can split the two in it as an entrepreneur, but very much shaped by your parents as entrepreneurs themselves in the early times in your life. But then latterly, when it comes to their health and you know you having the motivation to then start this company. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I grew up in a very, I'd say the opposite to that, you know, running offense in terms of become an entrepreneur, you know, take the risk, solve the problem, that kind of thing. I, I was very much brought up in in defense of get a great job and <laughs> make sure it's a steady income and all of that sort of thing. Um, so very different. And I, I don't know, it, it seems to me like that environment, I can't, I can't imagine just how exciting that would have been for somebody like yourself who clearly has that about them that they want to they, they want to go and solve problems they want to do the side hustle and the different thing because you had optionality you didn't have to do that but you know partly genetic I imagine you know a duck to water when it comes to all that stuff and those early days of running events and DJing and, and this side hustle and that side hustle it can it can teach you a lot and the encouragement from your parents there I mean it's it's a perfect storm for you know creating and building the entrepreneur within you i guess my question if if i even have one it's more of an observation i mean do you feel lucky there i mean that's a that's an incredible environment to be in i'm blessed to have 
uh, that environment. So not only that, in fact, my first and only job was um, being, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, the, the chief of staff uh, for a uh, entrepreneur, a publicly listed company. Wow. That was my one and only really? job, right? Yeah. And it was, it was, it was, I mean, it wasn't called chief of staff yet. Sure, sure, sure. Fancier titles, but essentially it was incredible. And then yeah. you, so I, I was fortunate to be influenced by entrepreneurs for a majority of my life and be mentored by them or yeah. at least yeah. have, look up to them. And it's changed my perspective. Yeah. Give it, I don't think it's given me the confidence, but it's definitely given me the humility and it helps to have an environment at home where uh, being, you know, being an entrepreneur is, uh, I wouldn't say the safe path, but it is, uh, it is, uh, it, it, it's very comfortable. This is an interesting discussion, <clears throat> excuse me, about, I, I, saw, I think I read this in a blog recently, or I saw it on a video, one of the two, that there is an argument that repeatedly taking the safest route isn't actually the safest route. In order to take the safest route, one has to take the odd risk for the best chance of, say, it was, it was an argument to, to that end anyway, which... I don't know. It seemed interesting to me that, yeah, there are, there are times where you can take a safe route, but but actually to, to roll the dice every now and again and just give you chance that extra level of, uh, I don't know, security or, or salary or whatever it is that's going to make you feel like you've leveled up or even just taking a shot on what you actually enjoy doing. Um, I think it's Jim Carrey that said, you can fail at what you hate doing. You might as well fail at what you enjoy doing. <laughs> I saw him say that recently. Um, but the humility thing, I want to come back to this. That's an interesting point. I think this comes back to me thinking that you are very informed as an entrepreneur. Businesses fail. People fail all the time. And thinking back into my regard, I, 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 I failed and it hit me hard. Every time I failed, every time I got 19 out of 20 in a maths test, it hit me hard, you know. And partly that's huge expectation from left, right and centre and all the rest of it, not least that that you then put on yourself. But normalising that and becoming becoming humble as a result that I can try these things and fail, that's all right, because I'm, I'm failing forwards, I'm falling forwards, everything's going forwards. That, again, is just an incredibly powerful framework um, because... You're right. As a VC, you'll fail nine times out of ten, but it's the one that then makes you succeed. And I think a lot of people, me included, personify themselves as their career, personify themselves as their business, and the t the two are separate. And I think your you, your ability to be humble there and practice that humility of like, well, everything everything actually fails, and I know that things might, but I'm going to do this anyway. It's a really nice framework, and it's actually a really practical framework. Um, I guess my question here, just to pull this full circle, you know, with with the motivation to your parents and everything, is this how you'd raise your kids? They don't know what's about to hit them. <laughs> they have no idea what's coming. Um, no, I, but, but but jokes aside, I think uh, um, you know it's very easy to take the safe path, and in the twenty first century. Um, you know, life has allowed most of us to be able to take the safe path and have a very safe, very normal, very happy, very fulfilled life. And you could, and that's perfectly fine, right? And then it's, it's just about mentally being 
being good with who you are and who you are in the moment because you I mean you can be Elon Musk and you're the unha- most unhappiest person in the world or you can be the guy who's 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 sweeping the toilet I mean cleaning the toilets and be the happiest person in the world but if you choose to take the less traveled road the more challenging path the one where you know going in there're going to be more obstacles than you can possibly imagine many ups but even many more downs and you're you're willing to sort of go down that path i promise you it generates results uh but it's a choice that you make but in that same choice i think um you know you can't uh uh it's it's a choice that comes with uh you know investing in your mental resilience every step of the way as well uh because beyond the problem to solve it's also about uh you know you your identity not being confused with the some portion of what you do because the reality is that stuff may not work out and even if it works out in the long run it may not work out that day and if your identity and the problem you're solving or the business you have are one and the same and there is no disconnect in your head doesn't matter what the world thinks of you uh that's a recipe for disaster um and the best of entrepreneurs allow that to happen to themselves on uh, on bad days i mean and, and me too like it doesn't matter it's so hard but if you can find that way to sort of you know find the disconnect find enough of the connect to drive you and to motivate you and get you out of bed and make sure that even when there are impossible challenges you're there to solve it but not that much that you have an identity crisis uh then it's a it's a pretty it's it's a really fun road i can tell you that much and it's extremely fulfilling i think there is an optimal load that you can put on yourself and i think everybody's is slightly different but i think that optimal load with an optimal amount of challenges and an optimal amount of uh difficulties and and barriers to overcome if you can find your optimal there that's where the meaning lies that's where the purpose lies the meaning the motivation the will to get up in the morning and it's a combination of all, of of finding the right problem to solve and and everything right but yeah that's what that's where i think meaning lives as well but before we get too much into philosophy let's talk about wealthy therapeutics so um interesting that you you know you have a personal experience that connects you to this problem and a personal experience that connects you to the motivation and very common in healthcare i think for that to be born out of frustration more than anything else um why do you think how, what from what you've learned with wealthy therapeutics and and driving things forward before we go into the specifics of what wealthy therapeutics is why do you think that healthcare of all sectors is perhaps slower to catch up to what we do with consumer and what we do in financial services and things like that is it that it's heavily regulated is it that there's big players and many of them is it that there's little players and many of them why do you think from what you've observed with this ecosystem why do you think there's uh, let's call it why do you think there's so much opportunity uh, to innovate i would like to say because of um the complexity of it mm. and the uh the and on all fronts right the complexity of the problems to solve like today if you just look at you map what we know about to say one organ the human brain right we know more about the human brain in 2021 than we have had in the history of humanity 
and we probably know one percent at uh, at best. And um, it's such a complex um, organ which has so many connections to everything else in the human body uh, that we haven't even begun to discover what to solve. So there are there are unmet needs we don't even know exist yet. There are unmet. Oh, there are there are. Um, there are probably ways to solve a problem that haven't even been discovered yet. And I think that excites me, but that's also probably one of the reasons why there's so much opportunity because beyond a point at some fundamental level, at least this is what I believe. And I believe at some subconscious level, every person in the world may believe this uh, at some point in their life, which is that you can have, make as much money in the world. You can have as many zeros to your bank account. At the beginning of that is a, uh, a digit that's not zero. It's one or two or any number up to nine. That, if you let that digit represent the state of your health, and then if that ever goes away, all the other zeros stop mattering. Um, and that's why I believe it's so innate to our humanity, that we want to solve a problem that is central to our sense of ability to experience and enjoy everything else that the world has to offer. Um, so that's why I feel it's such a large space, but the complexity of it, the complexity of both ending um, of what, you know, how different factors affect our health and the complexity with which healthcare is delivered, uh, the complexity with which healthcare is regulated, I think that just offers a lot more because um, it's not a product that you just go online, click buy and, you know, consume or service, right? There are many, many, many steps in there. There are actors in there between payers and providers and health systems and regulatory bodies and uh, your treating physician and the super specialist and the patient and the patient's family members and the caregivers and their entire sort of network in between. These are just the human sort of elements to it, right? And uh, our entire healthcare experience so far has been about at least measured on the back of the equivalent of clinical trial outcomes or outcomes in a controlled population. And that's all the legacy of publications that exist. But we are moving or have moved into a world where it's now about the real world. But whoops, we don't have 100 years of experience on managing real-world outcomes or being accountable for real-world outcomes. You have the entire healthcare system in its, you know, with, with due credit is incentivized on fee-for-service. When in actuality, um, you know, if you look at, let's say, something like finance, right? If you have a wealth manager or you have a, a fund or you have a uh, closed-ended instrument, they will have a fixed fee, yes, but they will also have a profit share uh, depending upon your outcomes. And if the outcomes aren't good, poof, you move to the next guy. Or if the outcomes are good, you know, pay for performance. You know, it, fundamentally, it aligns everyone to the same goal. Value-based care is only coming online now. The minute value-based care comes online, it's the equivalent of saying, I have a theoretical uh, hedge fund algorithm that has, uh, you know, back-tested and worked in the market for the last 10 years, therefore give me a pot of money and I will make you two pots of money versus saying, here's my real world performance over the last 10 years. 
we are just getting into that conversation in 2022. Uh, and that means we've got a long, long way ahead of us with very complex problems to solve because population health in a real world setting, when you do not have control to what the patient does or behave uh, the 24 hours of the day, ooh, that's a problem that's going to take many moons to solve. And it's, it's super exciting and exhilarating. I was going to say, it's plenty of work for us for a very long time to approach these problems to solve. But with that in mind, then, tell me about Wealthy Therapeutics. Tell me about the, what is the product that you have, I guess, the platform? Um, and and what, what are you building and who are you building it for? We were really fortunate to come across a problem that um, it wasn't just felt, you know, through the inspiration of, say, you know, patient zero and one, which are my two parents. But frankly, it's felt by all of us that started the journey and almost every single person within the organization that's there, uh, that we have family members, we have ourselves um, dealing with or have gone through complex chronic conditions that current healthcare is not able to solve for. And there are many attempts at solving it. Um, I was fortunate to come with, from within the healthcare system to recognize that there are, while there's a direct-to-consumer way to solve it, could we actually choose to have our mission of impacting millions of lives and improving outcomes be delivered by adding digital infrastructure to the existing ways in which healthcare is being delivered or felt, which meant going after what at that point we considered a really tall order. Can we be a active digital ingredient to work as software-based medicines to go alongside molecule-based medicines so that the combination can drive better outcomes than the molecule-based medicines could alone? At the same time, we went to the concept of what payers or national health systems or a payer provider uh, sort of uh, systems were doing and get into enablement of driving and influencing real world outcomes, which meant uh, in markets, where you, you know, the, the government pays, it's more about reducing the cost of care while improving the individual's health condition and their quality of life. At the same time, it was in private market, private insured markets. It was about how do we lower premiums um, by making you know uh, not so healthy people healthier, uh, because we felt that we would like to solve this problem with a go to market that's B two B to C, because it wasn't just about enabling the healthcare system to improve uh, or enabling the actors in healthcare to deliver better quality care. It was also a responsibility that came with um, complex conditions and the fact that the kind of conditions we work with, um, it doesn't take too much to go wrong to really have an adverse event or an adverse effect. And that meant being governed by the same rules of healthcare. And that meant having experts um, through the journey because no patient, especially in the kind of conditions we go after, is treated um, with one actor, right? There's almost always multiple physicians involved, uh, uh, paramedicals involved, um, and they need to be part of the pathway. 
the products and services that are being ushered in front of them have to have clinical rigor, validation, uh, efficacy, effectiveness, um, uh, you know, and, and, and be tested and be, uh, and be rigorously uh, certified for safety. And we just felt that the right way to do it was to go work with these actors and make sure that we can enable them to improve real world outcomes. And that's where our journey began. And we have been fortunate to find both the positives and negatives that come with that. The negative of, uh, of working with an actor which has uh, you know, many, many, many agendas and patient outcomes is not the only agenda um, is a challenge because we choose to not change our North Star, which meant that if we cannot have an enterprise partner aligned to outcomes, we probably aren't the right fit. And that's been a journey. And, and that journey has resulted in us uh, having to walk away from partnerships. It has uh, resulted in us learning ways to align stakeholders that we never knew existed on the face of this planet, because I never knew that problem when I built uh, the strategy to go to market on, uh, on, uh, for Wealthy Therapeutics. I genuinely felt that if we can improve real world outcomes, economic value will follow. Uh, so not true. So <laughs> not true. Uh, I, I, I think the economic value follows if you align uh, all the stars and the galaxies. <laughs> and the multiple universes that you're operating in, absolutely, yeah. It's, 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 an interesting, it's an interesting thing that you describe there. And it's a very honourable way, I must say, to run a healthcare company, one that does interact with so many different players that you do just want to be aligned to outcomes. I think ethically, that's a very nice spot to be in. And I think you're you certainly sound like the sort of person when you know talking about your motivation and and it matters the way you do things as well as practically just doing them. And I think it gives a lot more longevity when people give thought to the ethics of something like a business model and how that might change over time. Because I think there's there's a couple of innovations that I think you're talking about here. You started off by describing different business models. There's certainly an innovation opportunity there. There are multiple different business models that play in healthcare. Being able to make use of all of those business models and still have the ethical framework to say we're, we're going to operate with partners that do things the way we want to see the world, which is outcomes-based. You know, there's definitely innovation there. And also, you've talked about this, there's so many different players. In order to find a business that works with the galaxies, the moons, the planets, the universes, and to actually create a model that sits within there that gives value to all of those different players, is also very difficult. And it seems that the innovation that you've got here, I mean, practically speaking on the product side, as you mentioned, you know, you're, you're building software to go alongside molecules to make that entire therapy better. It's relatively straightforward from that perspective. 
But there's a lot of complexity that goes into simplicity in the end, and seemingly that isn't as easy as it sounds. But I think the real innovation here is is where it comes to that that business model, the, the business model that that works for real world outcomes, that delivers value to all of those players. I mean, how how did you even how did you even go about that? What was the exercise to to really consider that? Because that must have been a heck of a a heck of a process. One thing that really works for us, which is uh, arguably the simplest, which is the unmet patient need, is the key to uh, aligning everyone. Uh, and it's not what the stakeholder says; it's actually what the real unmet need is. So what we find is that every single actor within healthcare sees a problem from their vantage point. But if you see a cube or a cuboid or whatever it is, right, from your angle, things may look very different. But when you piece all the angles together, it actually makes a lot of sense. And what has helped us was that when we start piecing all of that together, um, it turns out to be extremely robust, extremely simple, and we just need to take all the angles in because otherwise you're not creating the three-dimensional object that is the answer. And it's not as complex as it seems because the North Star of the unmet patient need is something everyone is aligned to. It's just our responsibility to align everyone to right. the real unmet patient need and not their version of it. Right. Um, and that makes all the difference because until we figured that that piece was not the responsibility of the healthcare stakeholder we were working with, but it was actually our responsibility. Uh, it was a struggle. The minute we figured out that's our responsibility, it, it stuff just became a lot easier because we combined that with uh, with really the a, the way we design digital medicine and digital therapeutics today. Because within the design is the patient journey, the HCP's journey, the drugs journey. What is how are they solving that problem today? If we didn't exist, how would they solve the problem? With us, how would that problem be solved? How are we able to get a delta that is large enough? What is the meaningful aspect of health that makes a difference? What are the clinical used to measure those that meaningful aspect of health? What delta is necessary to be able to make to feel that there that meaningful aspect of health is 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 improved by an amount significant enough to not just make the end patient happy, but also make every actor within the healthcare system happy? And then how do we integrate all of that into the existing workflows uh, that are there? And how do we hold ourselves accountable to the same clinical validation, same efficacy that a drug is held accountable to? Um, ironically, the rule book's already there. I think the, 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 the piece that we were missing was the focus on the unmet need from all the different angles uh, and then staying dogheaded to that versus bending over to the will of the healthcare stake who may be uh, horse blinded and seeing it from their vantage point, they don't necessarily see the big picture. I love that you talked about responsibility there and understanding that it was your responsibility to do. There's an incredible moment that I think everybody will have experienced in their lives at some point where all of a sudden they take responsibility for something and all of a sudden it's now in your control. And I think you can say, you, you, 
blame goes out the window and oh, this has happened and that's happened and I can't do this because and I can't do that because all of a sudden that goes out the window and you just say this is my problem to solve and all of a sudden this wonderful feeling for an entrepreneur is I now have control it's now my fault if this doesn't happen and actually I'm putting myself under the spotlight now and I'm going to solve this problem and I think that's a wonderful moment for anybody that has entrepreneurial now or, or anything where they just take that responsibility and control um, because healthcare you're right it's complex and, and there's so many people and players that are just doing what they can to help the patients today and to, to just get through the day and we all know particularly in the UK NHS like everything's held together by workarounds everything's held together by goodwill of the staff and and it is up to entrepreneurs that if they can take that control then all of a sudden you know things get good right you can go through a design exercise you can figure out how it works and then holding yourself accountable as well to if it's sticky if it scales if it does all these things um incredible i love that love that love that so my final question then in terms of wealthy therapeutics and and the products that you build what have you learned about software as a medical device or digital therapeutics however you want to define what it is you actually build what 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 have you learned that makes good software as a medical device for both the buyers and indeed the patients good question i think it's uh, uh that unmet need is where it begins and ends for the patient uh, except that we were fortunate to see it from a slightly different vantage point because of the market which we came from. Um, our world or our part of the world operates in the real world faster than um, some of the other markets out there, which meant that we were not okay with uh, a boardroom discussion, a hypothesis statement, um, go out and build something um, you know, get the get the X million in grants, and then three years later is when first real world patient sees the light of day. Right? Um, we sort of had enough um, folks who came from consumer tech who felt that that was the worst thing that ever happened to healthcare, and that's not something we should accept. So, what would it take to be able to take uh, you know lighter versions of the product in the hands of users faster? Forget three years. What can we do in three weeks? What can we do in three months? Because we will learn more uh, out there with the patient than we will ever learn uh, reading the best of clinical research and studies and, um, and, and working with experts out there. Uh, and I think it's a parallel approach that's really worked for us. Because you know, one, one of the things that our leadership believes in is no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. So you can build the best strategy in the world. You can build the best hypothetical product in the world. But you cannot possibly tell me you have you know exactly uh, what and how different users patients will react right so um, we solve it by just going out into uh, the real world and getting our hands dirty, getting the product out there, getting a version of the product out there, learning iterating 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 and that's helped because it's very new to uh, to enterprise. Uh, but as long as you're able to do it with the tightest regulatory frameworks out there, as long as you're able to stay compliant, and as long as you never, ever, even remotely get into the gray area, actually, there's a lot that you can achieve um, and increase the chances of success, right? So that's sort of how we 
do it for both uh, the patient and ironically for the buyer or the enterprise customer as well, because at the end of the day, it's about risk. One version of risk is, well, I don't want to touch a patient because what will compliance say? And the other version of it is, well, what will business ROI say if you don't touch a patient for three years and then when you finally do touch a patient, that patient wants something completely different from what uh, we intended or worse, what product we have, even if it solves a patient problem, doesn't solve the enterprise partner's problem, right? So uh, that's worked. Um, relentless customer obsession is the other piece, right? The, and it, it actually, it both works for us as our primary ingredient, but it also works for us for our motivation, right? So if driving health outcomes gives you immense satisfaction and we were used to celebrate a single patient improving their health outcomes when we started the business, uh, that piece doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you've been able to improve and impact an individual's life and you're able to share that story in a de-identified way, uh, and it's not about numbers, but it's about a journey uh, that drives the internal team and continues to motivate them in ways that, you know, there, there's no there's no words that can describe that. So when you combine continued patient success stories at an individual level, you know, zoom that out to population level success stories and the case studies that come with that, whether we publish them or not. And then you, 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 you always have that first principle of customer obsession where you're always going out, you're always talking to users, always talking to ACPs, always talking to your enterprise partners, never, ever, ever stopping because you can have the best product roadmap in the world, but your job is not to create the best product roadmap. Your job is to create a roadmap that solves unmet needs on the ground. And you're never going to, if you lose touch uh, with what ground reality is, you've already lost the war, right? So that's how we do it. And uh, we are fortunate to have um, uh, found individuals who are obsessed about it uh, and fortunate to have touched enough lives that we know it works. And now fortunate to find ways to communicate with partner that this is this works. This actually drives the outcomes that it does. And it may be a different language than what uh, enterprise partners are used to, but it is something that has proven success in 30 other industries, and there is n no reason why it shouldn't work here. Arisha, you're, su you're such a pedigree entrepreneur, honestly. The, the ease at which you talk about complex business problems from first principles to leadership and growing a team to addressing all of these varying and contrasting uh, needs within your business. It's It's been a pleasure to listen to you. It's been a pleasure to hear your story. It's been a pleasure to know where all this motivation's come from as well. I hadn't appreciated that previously. Um, and honestly, it's been a joy to, to work with you and your team as well, I must admit. It's, um, it, it's thoroughly enjoyable to be, uh, to be working with you. But mate, as I say, um, it's been a pleasure. For anybody who wants to get in touch with you or Wealthy Therapeutics, what's the best way for them to do so? Please reach out. I'm on, on email. I'm on um, Abhishek, that's A-B-H-I-S-H-E-K, at uh, wealthy.care. That's W-E-L-L-T-H-Y.care. Uh, come find me on LinkedIn. Pop me a message. Happy to chat, uh, virtual or otherwise. Always looking to help, always looking to learn, always looking to collaborate. Awesome. Abhishek, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. 
Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.